Welcome to another edition of Inside the Economy. I'm Larry Howes. Thanks for joining me. I want to talk about the U.S. consumer a little bit. A quick review of the last decade of the S&P 500 as we're winding down 2019. And some thoughts about 2020. A lot of things going on. Quick look at the numbers. Nothing very exciting, but a couple of subtle things on here that, well, are worth a little intellectual effort. To answer a couple of questions, I'll start with inflation. Headline is still 2.1, core 2.3. That's not going to hold, and it's been this way for a while. No inflation is not a new message. But if you ask a question, gee, why isn't wage growing better? Well, here's the answer. Well, wages are growing fine. Wage increases are running about 3%. When inflation is a little bit less than 2, that's keeping up with wages, keeping the standard of living where it ought to be. Wages and salaries are based on a fair value, negotiated fair value concept. When you get a raise, you're worth more. But wage increases, or not raises, wage increases are to keep pace with inflation and standard of living. And wage increases are doing just fine. A little further down, the three-month Treasury, 1.5. The 10-year, 1.9. So that's less than half a percent difference to go out 10 years with an investment. Normally, would you invest your money out 10 years if you got half a percent more than for three months? I'll answer for you, no. But in an $18 trillion Treasury market, there's a lot of motives going on out there. And I'll tell you the motive that's going on right now, the flat yield curve that we have is going to remain flat for the foreseeable future. There's no inflation to require the long end of the curve, 30-year bonds, to go up in yield to compensate for committing your investment over that long period of time. Well, there's very little compensation needed because there's no inflation. But the other side of the coin is, I'm here to tell you, the chances are the Federal Reserve is not going to do any movement whatsoever with Fed funds, which they've lowered a couple of times here just this last year. When the three-month is where it is and the 10-year is where it is, less than half a percent difference, the only likely possibility of rates going anywhere is down not up. Otherwise, you wouldn't go out 10 years with that kind of return. Anyway, a little technical. Back to the consumer. We've talked about this before. Consumers are not overspending. They're not accumulating excess debt. The blue up here is non-revolving consumer credit, boat loans, car loans, that kind of thing. The red one, which is dropping even more, revolving, credit card debt. They're doing fine. The U.S. consumer is the supporter of retail spending across the globe once again. There has been a lot of borrowing. We talked about this. The blue line, well, that's total borrowing. Uh, percentage change, that's eh, up a chunk. There's been a lot of borrowing, mostly by non-financial corporate America. Non-financial corporate America means not banks. Money's cheap, it's very plentiful. 
a lot of these companies are going out, yeah, I'll go out and pick up a couple of billion dollars and I don't even have a reason to spend it. So a lot of them just have a lot of cash on hand. That isn't necessarily bad. They're not changing any of their ratios. There's no drama associated with this. There's also not a big bubble brewing over all of this. Cheap money, cheap rates, easy opportunity. On the consumer side, the percentage change is right here. The biggest increase in percentage of debt to all the consumers, student loans. Gets a lot of press, it's a small number. The big number used to be home equity lines of credit, HELOCs. It's down 42%. People are paying off their HELOCs. They're not using their homes as an ATM anymore. So little money in student loans, big money, HELOCs being reduced. Mortgages aren't that big. Nothing is that big. No bubble here. The financial stability report came out, and this is where they're putting people's assets, which is, I think, a very important number to me. As usual, residential real estate, pushing at about 35, 36, 37 trillion dollars, is the biggest asset in consumers' worlds in the United States. Americans own a lot of property. Not only their own homes, well, 65% of people own their own homes, but they own a lot of property. For the first time in a long time, well, not the first time, but equities have really overtaken everything else as number two. We're at about $32 trillion just in stocks, not bonds, just in stocks, mostly the S&P 500 that people own. They own it in their 401k, they own it someplace, or they own it individually. It's a big market. The stock market has well outgrown the bond market, which has historically been much bigger. Things change. The rest of this are bonds. It's worth a lot of money, but as far as an asset, homes, S&P 500. Speaking to the S&P 500, this last decade, the S&P's turned around 364%. In the past 10 years, the best part about that is we haven't had a bear market, meaning a market where we've had a 20% or more drop from its peak. And it looks like this. Yeah, pretty nice. If you've been on the market the last 10 years, you've done pretty well. We've had a couple of almost corrections. In fact, last year, we got to like 19.5% in the fourth quarter. Didn't quite break 20 so it really isn't a correction, it's more of a, an event. One of the reasons why the first half of 2019 was so good in the S&P 500 was recovering out of that market. And here you see the blue line, that's the VIX. That is the, an indication of the relative volatility in the marketplace, the worry, the risk in the marketplace. It's been shallow or down. A couple of little hair-raising blips didn't last very long. You could look at what the end of 2008 looked like. There hasn't been any drama. There's just been growth following earnings. Nice combination. If you're technically minded and you know what the Sharp ratio is, my friend Bill Sharp has this great calculation, one of a Nobel Prize, that really gave the idea sometimes equity markets are worth it, sometimes they're not. This last 10 years, has been worth it because the number is over one. It's 1.01, meaning you did better in the equity markets than you would have had you stayed in the risk-free rate, which are treasuries. 
some of these other expansionary time periods, you got bit because you got a lot of money taken away from you. We don't need to dwell on that. Last decade was great, best one since the 50s. And you want to review a little bit on the debt side. This is basically the junk bond market. The orange up there is the amount of debt that's been issued, lower quality, investment grade or lower, triple B or lower. There's a lot of it out there. But the blue down here are the defaults, which have remained very low. We haven't had anything resembling a recession where industry is adjusting or getting rid of people or whatever it is that goes on in recessions. No defaults. So call it risky if you want, but if it hasn't defaulted, it's not very risky. They're just high yield. Not finally, but a more interesting part for me, for a first time in a long time, you look down this list and look at the little orange. That's the income tax rates for the United States. We're very near the bottom. We're usually in the top quartile, high corporate rates, high individual rates. Though our individual rates are relatively high, the corporate rates are way down, in my opinion, where they should be, which puts us way down here. Income taxes aren't a big drag like they used to be. Now, looking out 10 years, the likelihood is if there's pressure on tax rates, it'll be up, not remain where they are or go down. We'll just have to live with that. There are some areas of the country that do better than others, and this was part of the stability report that came out. Los Angeles now has outgrown my normal favorite area, which is Houston, which has been a great source of GDP for the U.S. for a long time. Energy is being less important than it has been, but Los Angeles now is about 6-plus percent of GDP. That's the same GDP that uh, Saudi Arabia has. New York is right under there. New York has got the same GDP as Switzerland. Just those two little, well, rather large cities. A lot of money in the United States. 2020, we're just going to see more of that. It's not necessarily going to be dispersed more, but as the economic tides ebb and flow, right now we're ebbing. This is the primary reason, and I know this is kind of a boring chart, but if you look at the yellow or the gold, that's the Fed funds rate in the United States, one and three quarter, 1.75, 175 basis points. We have room to go up or down. The only other major economy that has positive interest rates is the UK, and they have some of their own issues brewing once this Brexit thing gets done. And after this election, this Brexit thing's gonna get done. Everybody else, Europe, Denmark, they all have negative rates, Japan. Fundamentally, these economies believe that if you take your interest rates down to the negative numbers, that people will pull their money out of the bank and go, one, either invest it, or two, they'd go spend it. It's a very, faulty way of thinking on how to inspire consumers. It has not worked. And a lot of these economies, the Eurozone, Japan, a lot of them are stuck with negative rates. The only way they're going to get positive rates is for their central banks to raise rates, very likely push them into recessions just to get out of a negative, negative rate environment. U.S. doesn't have that problem. It's going to continue to help us through 
2020 and beyond. A lot of questions about, well, probably the most credit-worthy, legitimate-sized economy in the world is Germany. They have a triple-A rating. The United States has a double-A minus rating. They have balanced budgets, have for quite a while had balanced budgets. It's a very tightly controlled, and I do mean controlled, government. Great. So a couple of people have asked me, well, gee, aren't German citizens really well off? Well, no. <laughs> you look here, the dark line up there is the Eurozone in general, everybody in the Eurozone. Germany's down there in the blue. Their uh, mean net worth as a family is below the Greeks. They don't have a lot of money. There's not a lot of home ownership in Germany. Those that do have money in Germany have a lot of money in Germany because they own BMW and Daimler and Volkswagen and Audi and the means of production. Everybody else just works there. And it's pretty much only the old school of people that have the other big asset in Germany. That's a big government-sponsored defined benefit plan. Social Security is a defined benefit plan. Basically, they tell you this is what you get. It's not like you get a lump sum of money to do what you want. You get income. That's the way Germany is. But a lot of the new people that are entering the labor force in Germany aren't in that plan anymore, and none of the immigrants, as you might imagine. So balanced budgets, yay, that will be a discussion over time with the federal government. But don't think it's going to solve the situation or make your average American situation better. It doesn't. So they ask, well, what's the mean net worth of the United States? It's right up there about 97,000, right where the Eurozone is. Uh, that's the mean. The Eurozone, the United States, they're very similar in a lot of ways. More ownership in the United States, more pension and savings in Europe. Great. Germany's below that. Well, what's the average net worth? Well, in the United States, it's 692,000. That's the average. We're right behind the other one that has a lot of money, Switzerland. Their average is a little higher. Well, they don't have any poor people. And the average is the middle of everybody. That's 692. Uh, U.S. does pretty well. And I keep telling you there's a lot of money here. There's a lot of money here. Final comment on 2020. Uh, 2019, we really had a great stock market. I mean, the S&P 500 is up in the 20s. Didn't have a lot of reason to be up in the 20s because earnings weren't that good. We're a little fat right now, not a bubble. We're a little fat. Be great to correct that 12 or 15% and stay down until earnings catch up. That's probably the only issue brewing in 2020. I don't care about the politics. The, the economics is, and it'd be great if we had another year in the stock market, positive six, seven, eight percent. Bonds, three, it's where we ought to be. And after this election is resolved, I still don't see a recession in the foreseeable future. No inflation, no recession, no bubbles. Okay, fat, dumb, and happy. We're just a teeny tiny bit fat. So thanks for joining me. As usual, I enjoy the questions and I try to get to them when I can. Send them along to me at info at shwj.com 
and I will get back to you either directly or through one of these presentations. And I appreciate you joining me.